Welcome to Building the Future, Freedom, Prosperity, and Foreign Policy, a podcast series focused on updating the United States soft power playbook to meet the hopes and aspirations of developing countries because it's in America's interest to do so. I'm Dan Rundy, Senior Vice President at CSIS. There are a lot of global challenges out there, so let's get started. Welcome back for another episode at Building the Future with Dan Rundy. Dan is traveling this week, but we're delighted to have Memba Dizolele, the director of our Africa program, guest host today's episode. Thank you for tuning in, and I hope you enjoy the conversation ahead. Greetings, everyone, and welcome to this program today. My name is Mvemba Pezo Dizolele. I'm a senior fellow and the director of the Africa program here at the Center for Strategic and International Studies. Among many other lessons, the global COVID-19 pandemic has taught the international development community that the resiliency of modern economies and societies is interlinked with an inclusive and robust digital infrastructure. Digital payments, in particular, have emerged as an accelerator of economic development. As lockdowns were imposed, over 60 governments in developing countries leverage digital payment to provide financial relief to their citizens. Some countries develop ingenious methods to support their citizens through digital payment, and African countries stand out. Africa paved the way for digital development during the pandemic, developing social registries, investing in satellite imagery technologies, and drastically reducing the cost of digital transactions. However, there is still massive potential for growth, as over 90% of transactions are cash-based in Sub-Saharan Africa. Unlocking this potential could create more jobs, reduce poverty, empower women, and transform African societies. To help unpack this conversation, I am pleased to welcome two distinguished leaders from the region. First, we have Sina Lawson, the Minister of Digital Economy and Transformation for Togo. Minister Lawson is joining us from Lome, and I hope to talk with her more about how Togo is preparing its economy to harness the digital revolution and how the country weathered COVID-19 challenges through the Novisi program. I'm also excited to welcome Nshuti Mbabazi, Head of Africa Policy and Partnerships at the Better Than Cash Alliance. Ms. Mbabazi helps lead the effort of this UN-hosted partnership of government and private sector actors to boost access to finance, reduce poverty, and drive inclusive growth. Welcome, Madam Minister, and welcome, Ms. Mbabazi. Madam Minister, like everywhere else, I'm sure COVID-19 had a devastating impact on the Togolese people and their livelihoods. Minister, how would you explain to our listeners what actions you took as the Minister for the Digital Economy to help the country weather the crisis? Thank you very much for having me here. It's an honor for me to, to speak at C- CSIS and, and to really relate and talk about what we did as a country during the pandemic. Our first COVID case happened in early March 2020, and it really came as a shock for us because we were watching TV and we were you know, watching what was happening in Europe. I think it was Italy at the time. And so we kind of knew you know, things that were supposed to be working, such as mobility restriction measures. 
But you have to know that Togo, we fought very hard and we're fighting very hard against poverty and extreme poverty. And the past few years before the pandemic, we had some gain in terms of, you know, our fight uh, against extreme poverty. So the concern we had was in a country where 80% of the population works in the informal sector, if you implement mobility restriction measures, what is going to happen to these individuals, you know? Yes, you're going to maybe succeed in fighting the pandemic, but for sure you are going to be killing these individuals because they won't have any means to, you know, earn their living because you have to know that the informal sector needs to go out every single day to earn their living for that day. They do not have any savings, okay? So then the president said, oh, is there a way for us as a country to come together to support the most vulnerable people of Togo? You have to know that in most of African countries and in Togo in particular, we don't have a unique social registry. So if you ask us as a government to pull out the list of uh, the poorest individuals of Togo, we were not able to do so. So how do you support people when you don't know who they are and you have to implement mobility restriction measures and you can't really deploy people in the field to identify them person per person? Well, you use digital means. And what we did is that we built a platform that used USSD technology. Why does it matter? USSD technology does not require people to have smartphones, nor does it require people to have internet access to be connected to the platform. So we built this platform, which was a payment platform, and people we asked people to register onto this platform using their basic phones and their voters' ID because it was a biometric ID. We wanted to make sure that People who registered onto the platform were unique individuals, first of all, and, and biometrically identified to make sure that these were real people. And so they would register with their mobile phones onto our platform, and in less than two minutes, they would receive an SMS, which would give them one-third of the minimum wage. So what I need to say is that through this program that we called Novisi, which means solidarity in local language, we were able to support 25% of all Togolese adults. So we distributed $34 million in total to 940,000 individuals, which is 25%, like I said, of all Togolese adults. And the platform would determine eligibility based on several criteria. The first was locations, because not all of Togo was concerned with mobility restriction measures. So we decided that we were going to support only people living in certain neighborhoods, certain cities. So the platform would identify where you lived, you know, your professions. So the platform was would identify the professions and the gender, because you would register using your voter's ID, and on the voter's ID, you had the three information. The neighborhood where you lived, which was linked to the Voters Bureau, your gender. We decided, as part of this program, to give 15% more money to women than men, and your geo, you know, location, because some areas were not you know, part of this program. 
And so that's how we, we did in the first phase of this program. Then we moved beyond the first phase to include innovation because the thinking at that time was, okay, if the pandemic is going to last for years, you need to improve the way you identify beneficiaries. How do you, how do, you do that? And this is when we actually reached out to UC Berkeley and the School of Information and also an NGO, US NGO called Innovations for Poverty Action. And we asked them to work with us to find a methodology to better identify the vulnerable people in Togo. And we did two things. Number one, we used satellite imagery, okay? And with satellite imagery, we were able to design poverty maps of Togo and to rank all the 400 districts of Togo from the poorest to the richest, you know, using satellite imagery. So there you, you go, we have this poverty map of Togo. So with the poverty map of Togo, we are able to identify, we were able to identify where the poorest individual, individuals live. Then the next question was, who were the poorest individuals? Because remember, we didn't have the social registry to identify these individuals. So what we did was that we used mobile operators' data records, you know, and an AI algorithm that enabled us to pull out the number, the phone numbers of people who earned less than $1.25 per day. And we texted them and we asked them to register onto our platform and if eligible, they would receive financial aid. And so this phase of the program that used two AI algorithms was financed with a US NGO give directly and we were able to distribute $10 million to 140,000 individuals based on two AI algorithm. So the whole program was very innovative because we used AI, because we used direct payment mechanism, and, you know, SMS mobile payment, because we also decided that in order to support, to better support households, we needed to give more money to women than men, which was also a first. And the last thing that was also a first is that from registration to receiving cash, it took less than two minutes. Usually when the state announced that they're going to be supporting individuals, it takes months, if, if not years. So it was also very innovative for that reason. Thank you very much, Madam Minister. This is very enlightening and very insightful. If I understand you correctly, this had three dimensions to it. One is the big question was, that how do you mobilize people so you can have access to them, not having registry? B, is the money itself. How does the government mobilize the money that it's going to make available to its citizens who are in need? But three, how do you select those people? So if you can go back, the people and the region, because this is very impressive that a country like Togo, Togo has its own challenges like any other country, I suppose, but yet there was a case of force majeure here, a very important emergency. And like you say, in a lot of African countries, informal economies are much bigger than the formal economy. So that means a large part of the population is really thriving in that informal economy, which economists and everybody else cannot really measure. But we know it's there and we know it's very important. We know that the informal economy feeds families and get people by. So how did you go mobilizing those resources. I mean, this was novel for everyone, not just for yeah. African countries. 
So when the pandemic started, we, we mobilized the national budget, allocated some resources to support individuals. We started a national solidarity fund, which was mostly financed by the state money. So that's how we were able to really support. And we also reached out to international organizations to ask them to support us in, in, you know, in, in funding this fund. But most of the budget that we spent came out of our national budget. So it was a, a huge effort on our side, but it was necessary. You know, if you look at the world right now, governments are challenged, you know, their legitimacy is challenged. And so there are instances such as the pandemic where you actually need to step up as a government, as a country, to support your citizens, to show why it is important to have structures such as, you know, institutions such as, you know, governments. In terms of identifying, you know, beneficiaries, we did it using professions. So we pre-selected some professions. We said, okay, if you're a retailer, if you're um, a hairdresser, you're, most of these professions are part of the informal sector in Africa. So because the, on, your, on the voters' database, your professions, you, you know, you, you, when you, you got the, the card, the voters' I, uh, you know, ID card, you, you had to input your professions. We pretty much knew the professions because the platform identified the professions. So some professions were part of the list of professions that, were, that we qualified as being part of the informal sector. So it, all this was automatic and would take a few seconds. So the platform, you know, based on your ID number, would identify your, you know, your gender, your geolocation, your professions, and would, you know, send you the, 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 the cash straight away. So that's how we, we set it up. And in terms of the geography, I know Togo is not too big of a country, but still I presume there is um, a gap between various regions. So how did you go about selecting? Were everybody happy with that selection in the country? Yeah, I mean, you know, when you distribute free money and if some areas are not, you know, a part of the program, of course, they're not going to be happy. But the fact is, you know, COVID was an imported pandemic, meaning that it came from abroad. So the capital city, which is the home of the airport, was the first hit by the pandemic. And then few of the large cities, rural areas did not have any, you know, cases of COVID. So in terms of the measures that we implemented, every time we had a new case, we would put the city in lockdown so that you wouldn't be able to go out of the city so as to not contaminate rural areas. So it was only fair that we would support areas that were under lockdown and not the entire country. That's how we, we selected who was going to get paid. But, you know, in terms of the methodology, we also, it was very important for us to find a way to say, because it was, the, it was, we were in 2020 and we didn't know at that time how long the pandemic was, was going to last. So it was important for us to work on new methodologies to identify beneficiaries. That's why we reached out to Berkeley and the IPA team. We said, we need to have a poverty map of Togo. We need to know the, you know, to have this image of, you know, the poorest neighborhoods so that if the pandemic lasts for, for years and, and God forbid decades, then we know how we're going to, who we're going to support because we're going to first target the poorest neighborhoods if we have to extend, you know, lockdown to the entire country. Thank you very much, Madam Minister. Nishuti, your current role at the Better Than Cash Alliance 
gives you an aerial view of the state of play of digital payment in sub-Saharan Africa. As our lit listeners know, we are talking about over 1.3 billion people, you know, the population of Africa, which naturally means that the impact of COVID in other countries in the region might not have been the same as in Togo. Could you shed some more light on this fact for our audience's benefit? Sure, thank you. You know, as you heard from Minister Lawson, really the state of play is promising, right? Uh, COVID-19, as painful of a hit as it has been for everyone, especially here in Africa, with the popular economy. I won't call it the informal economy. It's the popular one because it's what serves and what we know most. I'm going to steal that from you now, that term, popular economy. But yeah, so, so the state of play is promising. And when you hear from the minister's passionate testimony, you get to see how COVID helped us to really work urgently from a digitization perspective and the opportunities that it presented. The fact that the country was ready with records and they had just come out of, of voting, so it was really timely. They had a record that has just played a role in the elections to really help know who is who, where they are, uh, how much they are earning. I mean, that level of detail is really exceptional. The fact that people even had numbers to be reached, right, with a USSD message to activate their, you know, to say yes to receiving the funds and receiving them within two minutes is amazing. I mean, the, the fact that Novisi, and I love the meaning of it, that this solidarity contribution by government was able to be delivered, to be built, delivered everything in under two weeks, right, Minister Lawson, goes to show how promising the state of play is for the entire continent. About I don't know about Sub-Sahara, I, I can't in my mind, 1.3 billion, I can't divide. I can't divide. But it's really promising because now, and, and even the recent GSMA report just showed that over 60% of the world's mobile wallets are sitting here in Africa. That means more people have a digital tool in their hands that can allow them to pay and be paid. So it's really countries like Togo that set this record with Novisi. Countries like Rwanda, who saw a ballooning of digital payments go to over 400% during the pandemic, to countries like Uganda, beginning to deploy social benefits as well through the mobile phone. They didn't have it as easy as Togo, but uh, certainly they made it out the door. And with the examples of Togo, can be able to call Minister Lawson and say, we really are inspired by what you're doing. What can we do different with Uganda and such that by the time the next crisis arrives or even if they just need to send out benefits, it is as easy as it was in Togo. So for me, uh, from an area of view, yes, we have a lot to do to get devices and connectivity and affordable, dignified financial services to everyone. But the state of play is promising based on what we've been able to see on the continent in terms of innovation, in terms of speed, with digitization being a great equalizer, essentially, in service delivery, is really, really exciting. I have no doubt that when we work as a collective, as a continent, and be decisive in 
our policy action and implementation, and especially working with the private sector who have the big pockets to invest in digital tools for our citizens. As a collective, when we put our monies together, that whether it is the ones off that is going out in Togo or it is a billion that a big you know, trader has, all of it being operating within a formal financial instrument, uh, essentially the national treasury, we can all benefit. So I hope that we are going to, not I hope, I'm pretty sure <laughs> that we are learning from Novisi, even Togo. I'm sure has done introspection and saying, you know what, we have to put digital payment tools into the hands of everybody. So I am hopeful that in this African Union decade of women, financial inclusion and empowerment, we are going to achieve inclusion for the 1.3 billion people because of governments such as Togo making that commitment, making that investment. The fact that that solidarity fund was filled with resources from the backs of Togolese transacting every day is promising. And that is what we have in the cash that is circulating on our continent. The statistics show, at least before the pandemic, about 91% of Africa's consumer expenditure was transacted in cash. If we can be able to work with digital payments as a catalyst, as a starting point, and can get at least 50%, of the consumer expenditure into formal financial instruments, I have no doubt that we will see lower interest rates, we will see better insurance penetration, we will see better wealth creation services, just building on the presence of that digital tool uh, catalyzed by payments in the hands of people. So from where I stand, it is promising, certainly, made more promising by the opportunity presented by the pandemic for us to accelerate efficient service delivery to the citizens of the continent. Thank you very much, Shuti. So this is, again, fascinating from what you just said, adding on what Madam Minister said earlier. The two things that we take from this, one is that where there is a will, there is a way. So sitting in Washington, sitting in New York, sitting in Rome, this is not particularly what we might see when we look at Africa, right? Because the narrative, because of a set of reasons. But obviously, between the two of you, you've just painted a different, different image. So that image, I take from that image that when there is a will, you know, there is a way. So here, Togo demonstrated that it can take that chance, take that responsibility into its, hand, its own hand, the government that is, and deliver for its, for its people. But we also know that the challenges, I think in many ways you talked about inclusion, Madam Minister talked about prioritizing women and the poor and so on. That's inclusion. Financial inclusion deals with all kinds of things, the urban, rural divide, uh, regional divide, and so on. And that doesn't always go very well. But be that as it may, our countries, African countries are also cash strapped for a set of reasons. And the pandemic didn't make it easier either, because I presume Novisi was just one program. Then you have to give people health. Then you have to provide for X and so on. And kids stayed at home and so on. So where is the opportunity for public-private partnerships in this? Because technology is typically the kind of the territory of the private sector. 
money is the main, you know, the, again, money again is the, pri- is the priority, if you mean the purview of the private sector, at least the structure. The government can raise money through tax or kind of thing. But the delivery, somewhere you need to bring the entrepreneur, somewhere you need to bring the bank, somewhere to bring the technology. So where does that stand? Where do you see, how do you see it from your standpoint? You know, I, I love that you use the word narrative because really when you leave the reality, you get to see that the narrative has got to change because really the innovations on this continent, you know, as I said, Africa has exactly what they need. We lead in mobile innovation. And from where I stand, we are not cash strapped. It's just that the cash is in circulation and not in the bank. And that's why it is important to digitize our economies and important to digitize our, our, for the popular economy. I mean, the richest people are in that popular economy. They are not the ones that you see that have bank accounts. Bank accounts are a factor of easy access. They are not a factor of wealth. Because for if you look, for instance, from the context of the Africa continental free trade area, if you look at the context of the cross-border pay, uh, uh, traders, the traders between, you know, at Aflao conduct such big business that unfortunately is not captured within what we count because it's all conducted in cash. It's not visible to the national economy. But I believe with the eminent uh, trade protocol with countries coming together to say, we are going to create this one market. We're going to make it easy for people and goods and services to move across borders. We're going to make it easy for transacting to happen. Any given country's biggest trade receipts are sitting at the land borders at micro and small merchants who cross the borders every day. When we digitize those monies, when we afford them access to better financial services to build and grow their business, I have a great feeling that that narrative will change. So we are not cash strapped. We have cash. It's just not in the treasuries. So the more catalytic efforts that Minister Lawson and fellow policymakers take to create an enabling environment that allows for digital payments to be used by everybody. And that means removing the stumbling blocks of cost of a device, cost of the service. And that's where the private sector comes in. And I think for the next decade, the focus has got to be on the private sector because inclusion is a business opportunity. It is not a factor of policy. Policy enables things to happen. Policy supports innovation. Policy ensures everyone has equal access, ensures that recourse is clear, which is why we created the UN Principles for Responsible Digital Payments. That is where our policy comes in. But implementation is in the hands of financial services providers to put trustworthy tools into the hands of people. And Togo did a good job of designing that service of Novisi with the user in mind, understanding what their needs are, understanding exactly where they are, understanding that women will need more because they carry a bigger load from a family perspective and therefore designing a service that meets those needs. So as we design for more Africans to trust the financial system and choose to go digital, I believe that the cash that we have in circulation will sit in the banks and then we will be able to utilize those funds to really develop 
uh, our continent. We have the people, we have the innovation, we have the money, we need to digitize it. And when we do, it is easier for other development partners or better yet investors to put in money as well uh, to take us to where we need to go. So with political will, as we've seen in Togo and other countries, with the innovations as we've seen in Togo and in other countries, and with a collective effort, I believe that the next three to five years, it's going to be a different state of play for the continent because the political will has united to digitize the economy and drive transformation. The continent's free trade area has been activated and even the most financially excluded brothers and sisters at the borders also have the tools that they need to succeed. I cannot wait to see what's going to, what's going to happen. I feel the passion, I feel the commitment. So that's, that's definitely half the battle, right? Half the battle is, is won just with the engagement itself. We have a few minutes to go, ladies. I'll, I have a couple questions, one for each of you, kind of to help up wrap the program today. Minister Lawson, your efforts with Novisi were in part successful because your department had been gearing up for a digital transformation even before COVID-19 hit. So where do you want to see the future of digital economy in Togo? I mean, COVID kind of give us the, you know, kind of the, the nudge, from what I understand from your, your presentation today. But so what is your vision? Where are we going? I mean, in fact, I think this story needs to be told all over the place. I mean, I'm glad we talked today. I did not know about this great thing that Togo did. So the first thing is that Nshuti said something very important, which is that it's this word inclusion. When we talk about digital, oftentimes people think as it, you know, of it as being a cool thing. It's innovation, it's technology, but it needs to be for a purpose. And in Togo, our strategy, our digitization strategy is to better include our citizens in society and the economy. It's really a tool. It's very important, you know. And it explains why a country such as Togo, which is a poor country, was able to use AI in, during the pandemic to better target the beneficiaries. Whereas the most you know, advanced countries, the richest countries didn't use AI to target poor people during the pandemic. You know? So what it says is that we are a continent where there is a lot of innovation and that on this continent, we're willing to use this innovation, to use artificial intelligence, to use technology to improve the lives of our citizens. And that's very important. So that's number one. So in Togo, we have a strategy. I mean, you, you mentioned so many people, so many things, and there's so many things that I want to talk about because you did mention public-private partnerships. And it's very important in Togo. We in Togo, we privatized the incumbent mobile operator. We privatized it. We created a cybersecurity company, which would be the operational arm of our national cybersecurity agency. And this cybersecurity company was through a joint venture with a Polish IT firm. We were the first African country to land the Google Equiano cable. And this cable is going to be operated through a partnership with a private company, which is C-squared. So we're very you know, involved into public-private partnerships saying the role of the state should be to de-risk you know, projects to make sure that there is room for the private sector 
to operate, you know, in, in instances where the business case might be difficult. So we have clarity over this as a way for us to, to be involved in the economy. So we have a, a, a digitization strategy that, uh, first, the first thing I have to say, sorry, is that we have a roadmap, a government roadmap of 42 projects that we need to execute before 2025. And out of these 42 projects, three-fourths of these projects have a digital component. That tells you how important digitization is for the government in Togo, you know, right now. And so we have a digitization strategy based on three pillars. The first pillar we identified was that we needed to make sure that the basics were there. And when we talk about the basics, we talk about, you know, making sure that the infrastructure is built and has, you know, is, uh, can provide enough quality of service so that applications are there on top of this infrastructure. And I'm talking about mobile infrastructure, but I'm also talking about fixed infrastructure because the whole world right now is heavily and has been for the past decade heavily investing into fiber optics infrastructure. So I think it's very important for the continent to do the same thing. It would be a shame for Africa to wake up 10 or 15 years down the road and start to say, oh, we need to invest in fiber optics infrastructure. We need to do it now. So it's part of our strategy. The second thing is that during the pandemic, when we supported the individuals, you know, the poorest Togolese, we asked them to use their voter's ID because it was biometric ID. So we have decided to launch, to roll out biometric ID for all our citizens, starting from age five. Because, you, you know, and, and God forbid, if we have a, a, an issue down the road, we need to be able to identify and support people who are less than 18 years old as, as well, which we weren't able to do during the pandemic because voters ID, voters ID are given to people who are 18 years of age and older. So the first pillar of our digitization strategy, which is the fundamental, the basics, relies upon us working with the private sector to improve infrastructure, deploying biometric ID and building a social registry. The second pillar is that, you know, if you have to digitize a country, you need to digitize the public sector and social services first, you know, very important. So the commitment we have is that all public service processes have to be digitized before 2030 and started from this year, most of our public sector service uh, forms will be online. So it's, it's, it's very important, you know. The second thing is that the pandemic taught us that it was very important to have a digitized uh, education system and health system. And so we started during the pandemic because we digitized the vaccine administration process, the testing we digitized, but it was one area. It was the COVID-19 area. We need to expand what is it that we're doing in all the areas of the economy. And I'm very happy to have uh, Nshuti from Bet Better Than Cash Alliance because the third program of this pillar of digitizing public services is really about digitizing payments, you know, government to citizens, citizens to government's payment. Because if we do so, then it's the entire economy, you know, money is at the heart of everything. It's the entire economy that we want, you know, to digitize. The last pillar, the third pillar, is really supporting the economy. Because, you know, the best way to fight poverty is to increase wealth. 
And the way to increase wealth in 2022 is to make sure that you use the digital tool to support these areas of the economy, such as logistics for Togo, the banking sector, you know, the retail services sectors, you know, to digitize these areas of the economy. But we also want to rely to build this ecosystem of, of startups, you know. Innovation came and there were some big announcement throughout Africa of uh, unicorns, African unicorns that received massive amount of financing. It tells you that there is a, uh, the ecosystem of startups that we need to support as a country. And the last, the, the last program, and it's a very important one, is that when we talk about digital transformation, one consequence of digital transformation is data that is going to be collected, you know? Because every time you digitize a process, you, you create databases, you create data, and this data can and must be provided to the general public so that they use it to create new businesses. It needs to be valued. So we want to be an economy, we want to be a, a country and a continent where data is valued. And it involves a lot of new regulations, of course, in terms of data protection, in terms of cybersecurity, but it's also in terms of infra, what kind of structure, uh, institutions do you need to build to make sure that this data is used and is at the disposal of the general public? Thank you very much, uh, Madam Minister. So from what I understand, what just you said, a few things there. It's about digitization, 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 digitization. So that came true loud and clear. And thank you for, for sharing those perspectives there. Shruti, back to you. Uh, we're coming to a conclusion here. You sit at this intersection, government, multilateral, private sector. Where do you see the lack? Where is the gap between the various actors? I mentioned government, multilateral, private sector. How do we best bring them together so this space can be wider open and bring more people into that space? So where does effort yeah. lacking? I don't know if it's so much of efforts lacking, but I think for us at the Better Than Cash Alliance, getting everyone to deliver digital responsibly is key. The minister summarized it super well. And I've been privileged to be part of Rwanda's journey the last 10 years, which started though 10 years before that in 2000, where this ICT infrastructure enabling environment, we're now benefiting from that investment 10 years ago. So for us, it is to make payments responsible, but it's not just payments. I mean, we don't do payments for the sake of it. It is to ensure that every African has a tool and a service that works for them to digitize, and it has to be trustworthy. So for it to be trustworthy, that I can use it, it means that whoever gives it to me needs to have done the work to make it work for me. And throughout this process, as the minister rightly put it, data is also one of the biggest assets of the digital economy and Africans must benefit from it. I love the thinking to make this data a public good because it really is the only way to drive innovation. Innovation is based on meeting deeply felt needs of people. And if we capture that in data, 
and give it back to the citizens because it is their information. I think we have an opportunity to really, really uh, tip the scale in our favor as a continent. And I think what is most catalytic is that political will. When heads of state like Togo understand the urgency, they take action. So our goal is through these principles, make sure that everyone sees things the way the president of Togo has seen it and is working with the minister and others in Togo to make things happen. And that as a collective of heads of state, they are constantly holding their implementers of policy accountable, but also equally that the private sector is also living up to its fullest potential and responsibility to build services that are worthy of our citizens. In Rwanda, we have this song that I think can apply to Africa, which is, you know, Rwanda, Itajengwa, Nasisi, Wenyewe. Like, we will build Rwanda ourselves. Africa is ours to build ourselves. There is no Calvary coming. No one is going to save us. The good thing about digital in this fourth industrial revolution is that we have equal access and therefore no excuse to be left behind. The first industrial revolution, we were being petitioned. The second one, we were being colonized. The third one, we were fighting for independence. For this fourth one, we have to be good and ready to move together, borderless, everything, to deliver services that work for everyone. And I think that is where our wealth is really going to come from. And I can't wait to see what happens. And really, it is a privilege to be part of it. Well, thank you very much, uh Ladies, Madam Minister Sina Lawson of Togo, Ms. Nshuti Mbabazi joining us from uh, Kigali. It's a pleasure to have this discussion with you. I think this is a discussion that we just started. We definitely will revisit and expect to hear from us. Thank you very much. This concludes our session today. Thank you. Thank you. If you enjoyed this podcast, check out our larger suite of CSIS podcasts from Into Africa, The Asia Chessboard, China Power, AIDS 2020, The Trade Guys, Smart Women, Smart Power, and more. You can listen to them all on major streaming platforms like iTunes and Spotify. Visit csis.org slash podcasts to see our full catalog 